If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Beyond the Paper Gown, hosted by Dr. Mitzi Krakover, helps people think critically about women's health issues, encouraging them to question and explore the complexities of healthcare systems, scientific advancements, and societal norms. There's a really cool episode that you should check out called Midday Menopause App. And that's about how AI and sensor technology can provide personalized interventions to manage menopause symptoms effectively. Check out Beyond the Paper Gown on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Iowa Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. This is episode 100. If you're a new listener, I want to welcome you. Iowa Health is your place for trusted health guidance and resource. Whether you're looking to improve your health or just seeking ways to stay well, we're here for you. This growing community is on a mission to improve our state of being and experience together on the planet. So I'm going to take a moment here to acknowledge this milestone. It's not always uh, something I'm great about doing in my life, but I'm starting to appreciate this exercise. And I think if you don't do this once in a while, you miss the gratitude piece. As a listener of podcasts prior to starting one, I had no idea how much work goes into these things, especially if you want to do justice to something that feels important to you. I can say that it's been well worth the effort. The learning curve always feels steep at the beginning, but eventually there's a flow that develops and a sense of mission that continues to shift and deepen as we plot along. And a few things I didn't expect uh, starting this out was how many of my friends and family would tune in. <laughs> and so I want to first off here say thank you for your years of support uh, and everything that you've given to me personally. Uh, I embarked on a path that I think many people around me didn't see coming, and yet I'm sure now many of you couldn't imagine me doing anything else. It's been a, a very winding road, too, with, with lots of detours, and uh, I think you'll, you'll learn a little bit more about all of them if, if you don't know me that well here in just a minute as Dr. Aaron digs into my story. I'm also grateful for the encouragement that I've received from all of my clients and colleagues. You've bolstered me in my every day and push me to be better in the work that I do. You taught me so much about how to be a good care provider and even more about how to be a good person. Your relationships mean more to me than I'm able to express and I can't imagine my life without you. I also need to take a second uh, to thank my team here. Uh, first off, my sound and video editor, Casey. I found him on Craigslist about 30 episodes in. He lives in Arizona. So we never actually met in person, but somehow he's become like family. And he's not only provided incredible technical support, but he's just a solid, thoughtful human being who seems to understand the mission of this project and has seemed to understand it since day one. So fortunate to have found him. And I also have to give a shout out to Mario Stonies in Lubeck, Germany, who designed the Highway to Health logo and website and continues to be one of my go-to people for discussing ideas for this project. And also like family to me at this point. We, we met six years ago after seeing his work on 99designs. And uh, we, we did get a chance to actually hang in person on one of the most memorable weekends in New York City when we were hit by a 30-plus inch snowstorm. <laughs> so uh, I, that was where the beginning of our, uh, our friendship really kind of blossomed. And he's one of the most talented and biggest smart asses I know. 
but also just a sweet guy who always finds time to send me music and photos of his family and somehow makes me laugh out loud at some point almost every week. <laughs> so what a great guy. And I want to thank uh, my inner circle, you know who you are, who've been encouraging me at so many different steps along my path. I want to thank the whole Hannah family who supported me in so many ways through my since my teen years. Uh, knowing you're listening and, and contributing to Patreon makes me feel like I'm doing something important. To Stacy Deegan uh, for your support, both as a colleague and friend and board member of Highway to Health, you've been a big supporter of this project since I started putting it together. And to Nancy Lazar uh, for so many years of support and belief in me, your courage in the face of your own health challenges is a constant inspiration to me. And a big thanks to all of you who contribute monthly to Patreon. Your support keeps this podcast free of ads and provides resource for so many people out there who are, who are just looking for, for information. I want to thank all my colleagues, too, who have been sharing episodes and continue uh, to contribute both as guests and to the journal. And to my wife, Lisa, my son, Phoenix, and my daughter, Iris, I won the family lottery. Your love fuels me every day. And to my mom, you've always been my biggest fan and make me feel like my ideas are valuable and important to pursue. I love you, mom. And of course, Dr. Aaron Babb, here in the honor of interviewing me today for contributing the most to Patreon since this project began. And really, I, I, I have to say that uh, being his friend and colleague is one of the great honors in my life. He's a big reason this podcast exists. He's been on the show a number of times and has been such an incredible voice of reason through the pandemic. And it turns out he's a really good interviewer, too. Maybe we can talk him into doing more of these. Here's his interview with me. I hope you enjoy it. Well, I just want to say to, to start out with it. I wouldn't have done this podcast were it not for you. So I feel like I have to give you some credit for maybe just a little push and and also for being a supporter of the podcast and and just, you know, being that person who I kind of turn to all the time and like, what do you think about this? And so thanks for all your help too, man. Oh my gosh, for sure. It's been awesome watching you on the journey and supporting and, and uh, being a guest a few times. Um, especially about the COVID stuff. It's actually been really helpful for a lot of my, you know, a lot of the patients, a lot of the people up here. Yeah. And so, I mean, even just having that resource, being able to share, you know, those episodes with people has been super helpful. And and I hadn't thought, you know, even before COVID, I hadn't ever really thought that that we could sort of bring this into a clinic in a clinical, you know, way that 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 as your clinic has done, like they're using it to as as resource and information for people. It's such an it's such a consumable thing to be able to get information that way. So that's that was really cool to find out. Yeah, for sure. Especially with, you know, my own patients who kind of know my voice too. They mm -hmm. said it was, you know, was helpful, especially for people who were on the fence or didn't really know who to trust. I mean, I still don't even necessarily know who to trust, <laughs> right, right. you know, like online with all of this, you know, information, but, you know, digging through it. But okay, so let's start at the beginning of your life. So where were you born? <laughs> I was born in uh, Osage, Iowa. A very Osage, Iowa. a very small town. My my mom grew up in Charles City, Iowa, which is 
not too far from Mason City. And then, you know, the, maybe as the crow flies, like an hour, hour and a half or something from where the University of Iowa is. So that that part of Iowa is kind of south, or, uh, sorry, north um, and a little bit eastern. Yeah. And, and uh, was there till I was um, about two years old and then came to Minneapolis. Gotcha. And do you have any siblings? No siblings. You are an only I'm an, child. I'm an only, yep. Wow, that is interesting. I feel like I knew that, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I feel like that makes that makes so much sense, you know, in thinking about your college, you know, experience at St. John's then, and then developing such like great friends at St. John's, almost kind of like brothers, I would imagine. Yeah, like, and I think um, maybe maybe you get this you, because you were also, uh, which we found out after after we met, we didn't meet at St. John's, but we both were alumni from there, but. I think in some ways I I, fi- I figured out ways to sort of build some just because I had such a small immediate fl- family. I basically just grew up with my mom, and and my two aunts. You know, were around a lot too. So this is another thing that you and I have in common is that we we grew up around a lot of women, which I'm sure on some level has influenced us as caregivers. Don't you think? Absolutely. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, and especially with the, um, I think the transition a lot in healthcare too is that I see a lot more, you know, women in healthcare and yeah. my field is definitely dominated by that. Yeah. Um, almost all of the people I work with are women. And yeah, I'm definitely sure that my two older sisters and my mom and, you know, definitely influence it my way, you know, in healthcare. Yeah. That totally makes sense for sure. Yeah, but I, but I, I think but going back to St. John's, that that was definitely something. I also used to go visit with my 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 grandfather lived in Iowa after my grandmother died still, and so I would go down there and stay with him a lot as a kid, all the way through my teen years. And 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 I liked this kind of something about the small town, and about the way people kind of knew each other and looked after each other. And and so I, there was something about St. John's that appealed to me. And. Um, I think that was he. He actually got to go visit there before he passed too, so he knew kind of where I was going, and he really liked it and stuff too. That's cool. Yeah, in the middle of the woods, almost kind of like a, uh, a secluded place, a perfect yeah. place for uh, for college and growth and experimentation. Yeah, it, it feels kind of monastic there, and just in, in and and even just being in the middle of nature there. I, I was just up there about a month a month and a half ago because we do a little reunion with some friends and stay in the senior housing and. The kids run wild and play, capture the flag, you know, just get all sweaty and run around. <laughs> it's just the best. It's great to see. And and a lot of these guys, some some of them see each other a little more regularly, but some of us live far enough apart that this is the only time every year that they hang out and they all just jump right back into where they were. It's cool. That is so cool. And so when you were there, you were an English major, right? Yep. So what did so what did you think your um, life was gonna uh, was gonna unfold as? That's funny. I I, I remember my my uh, in high school my basketball coach um, used to he used to talk to me a lot because he I I said I was interested in business, and then when I went to college I didn't really I don't know I guess I guess I kind of didn't know exactly what I wanted to do with that. I really went through my first year of college just kind of you know trying things out and seeing what I liked. And then somewhere in my sophomore year, I took a, no, actually, I think this was at the end of my, my freshman year, I, I, I took an upper level public speaking course, partly because public speaking just frightened me. I was had a really hard time getting up and, and presenting and stuff. And so I took this course. I didn't realize it was going to be mostly upper class people who were in it, but one of the 
that we had to, we had to do some sort of like convincing argument type thing as as one of the public speaking exercises, and this woman got up and talked about um, being an English major and 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 why she chose to do it and she was pre law and I that was another thing that I was thinking about I was thinking about going into law, um, being a Libra you know you got, you got to, I wanted to see the scales balanced <laughs> so so that was that was one of the things that I was kind of thinking about. And so, and I also, it's funny because I, I was better at, at math and, you know, science and stuff when I was younger. And then somewhere in high school, I got really interested in music and I started thinking about things a little bit more from a, and, and just even when I was starting to write papers, I felt like, oh, this kind of, I got a flow going with this that I, that I really like. And so it, I had a few different, you know, teachers who liked my writing. And then from that point, I was like, I think I'm going to go into this and like, so I, I thought maybe I was going to go into, into writing and, and, you know, be a writer. I think I was thinking about going into journalism, which full circle, you know, there's like, <laughs> it's going to come back a little bit. Um, but yeah, that, that, that was, that was kind of my way into, to, to my major. Yeah, that's crazy how relevant to what you're doing to, the, you know, know, like today with the podcast. And not only that, I mean, you know, uh, critical thinking and writing and reading. I mean, yes. they're just like important to every single field. Yeah. And it's really interesting to see, you know, even that Jocko Willink guy, um, you know, yeah. that Navy SEAL podcast, yeah. he was an English major in college too. Yeah. And basically said that, you know, being able to like communicate and be able to read and write is like so important in whatever field you're in. I thought it was fascinating. And it reminded me of you because I knew that you had been an English major in college. Yeah. And, and I, I the, you're, you're totally totally spot on about like the critical thinking part. There's something about, I've met a few other people in medicine who, who, have, who are English majors first. There's something about, there's something about being able to really deconstruct something. You, you, and, and that was one thing that I felt like I was also maybe kind of, I, I never was in debate or anything in, in high school, but I always kind of, I had friends that I would get into these like long conversations and just dig into all these things. And I loved that. So yeah, it's interesting. What was your major? I forget. I was a chemistry major, chemistry. hardcore nerd. Yeah, yep, yep. for sure. But and the, and the funny thing was, is the reason the reason I was a chemistry major is because all of the pre med people were biology majors, and I was like, I really don't want to hang out with those people. So I'll go hang out with the <laughs> uh, the awesome hardcore nerds. I think we graduated with uh, six people in our chemistry class. Is that right? Yeah, I know it was so small. Huh. I mean, the be the benefits of going to like a, you know, a small liberal arts school, you know, in the middle of the woods of Minnesota, you could have those smaller classes and be able yeah. to have cool, cool discussions and get to know your professor. And yeah, yeah it was, yeah, it was definitely interesting. Yeah. So what did you do after St. John's? So after St. John's, I was, I applied for the first year, I, I decided I was going to go into education. So I applied for the first year, they only, they only took 30 um, applicants um, for this master's in education course. It was the beginning of, of having to have a, a master's to, to get into education to teach in, in a lot of schools. So, so I applied. I'm a, I'm a really bad like test taker, big test taker. I'm such a, I'm so much more of an applied person. So, you know, and, and those tests you can, you can't really study for, you can prepare and you can, you know, take the tests over and over again. That's kind of how a lot of people do it. But I, I didn't get a terrible score, but I didn't get in. Um, and so, and I wasn't, I think some of it was like, my heart wasn't totally in it. Like I, I think, I think that wasn't definitely not, that wasn't my, my direction, but I had also gotten really into music and was starting to play music a lot more in college. And so that, 
and so and so I, I, I applied to, for this writing program and I got in and so I started taking these writing courses which was cool and it kind of kept me busy it was like part-time and then I was working you know just odd jobs and restaurants and you know ca- cafes and all sorts of stuff I worked at the Star at the Star Tribune a little bit in like the sales office for a while the the newspaper here in Minneapolis and then um and then I was, I just kind of kept working on music and that was kind of getting busier. And all of a sudden I had a couple of guys that I went to college with that I didn't even know that well, who I started uh, working with. And one guy in particular who had moved to New York, um, and he was teaching in New York for a year and we started writing letters back and forth. This is, this is snail mail time, you know, this is er- awesome. like early nineties. And so, and so we started, we started writing these letters back and forth and he came to visit, uh, like around holiday time and then went back up to New York. And it just kind of continued, and then he came back to uh, to Minnesota, went to Mankato State, which is I think now Minnesota State University, and he to get his master's in, in education. So I started kind of going back and forth down there once in a while, just to have you know work on some stuff with him. And he was taking some of these letters that I was writing to him, and and, and it was like somebody that I also felt like I could have these you know this kind of deeper you know, conversation or express different kinds of things where he'd be like, yeah, I, I totally get where you're coming from. And, and that's, and I haven't heard anybody put it that way. And he would take pieces of my writing and make songs out of it. And so all of a sudden, really? I don't think, I don't think you've ever told me this before. Yeah. yeah. That is cool. Isn't it cool? So, awesome. so we started and, and so he and I just all of a sudden we, you know, within a few months we had like you know, 10 dozen songs, something like that. And then another friend of ours heard us play who was a bass player that used to play with him. And I was now ba- playing bass with, with this guy. And so he said, hey, can I play drums with you guys? This, this guy's like just crazy multi-talented. So, so we started messing around with him a little bit and just immediately clicked. So we ended up, you know, really kind of pushing pretty hard into music and trying to, we did some recording. We started tr- trying to see what we could do with it and, and, you know, traveling around and playing and stuff. But I also started to feel like this is really hard, <laughs> and I, and just and and the odds of 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 really being able to make it in the music business, especially since I didn't come at it with very much technical skill. Like I, you know, I think you need to know the recording process. You need to know a little bit about the business of music. I didn't know any of that stuff, so I, I was kind of starting to feel like I was sputtering there a little bit too. And then I started having these back problems. And so that was, you know, and, and, you know, looking back now, I can see that, and I was a big, you know, high school athlete and I rode crew in college at St. John's. And so like, and I was always very physical and probably to deal with a little bit of ADD, ADHD as, as, as I've explained to you before. (laughs) And so I think I was just kind of a, always, you know, somebody who was always kind of burning off this extra energy. And so you know, I didn't have that anymore with the music. There was, I think that was a piece that was missing for me. And I kind of, yeah, I would still do some active stuff, but not the same way. So I ended up kind of getting, getting interested in trying to solve some stuff, you know, learning stuff movement wise again. And then I just decided kind of on a lark a little bit, like I, I was, wasn't having any, any success with like, you know, with the stuff that the doctor was giving me, which was mostly like muscle relaxants and, you know, stuff to just deal with pain. And the chiropractic wasn't really doing it for me. And I tried a few other things and then I just decided I want to learn more. I feel like one of my friends gave me a, a, a massage book <laughs> at one point and I started kind of learning some of the stuff in there. And then um, I decided just to go to massage school. It's like, you know, just as a, just as education, I wasn't really thinking about it as, as a career. And, and then, almost to fix your own problem. It, yeah, totally. 
and uh, which yeah. is which I find a lot with with people in health fields like psychologists, uh, people with skin problems. They they kind of somehow end up in their fields this way. They're trying to figure it out, you know. Yep. So so that was that was the beginning of it for me. And I also just kind of felt like. I'd done a lot of service work. Like I kind of felt like I knew how to work with people in that way. And I, and, and I was the only guy in my program at the time, uh, which was also like kind of cool, <laughs> but also um, in terms of like the, you know, being in the, on the clinical side of it and having to, having to deal with clients and patients, I started feeling like I, I had to be very careful about you know who I was as a man, being being a, a tall person as well. That was that was a little tricky. So I had this one teacher who taught me, who was a who was a man who taught me all these different kinds of things about like kneeling down when I talked to people who were you know a lot shorter or getting into positions where they felt like they were in a position of power and and I and I kind of got that right away. And I also gathered from him right away that he thought I was like had amazing hands, which I was like. Hmm. And and I thought this guy was like the master, so I just kind of followed a lot of what he what he was doing, and and I had to I, when I had to, when we had to do different kinds of tests, we had to do manual therapy tests on our teachers, you know, for different kinds of things, and I somehow I ended up always getting this guy, and he was super critical, and would say, well, why didn't you do this and this and this, but at the, then at the end he'd always say, he's like, I would already pay for a session with you. You know, stuff that like is that. So cool. So, awesome. th- so then I kind of felt like, oh, I, this is something I kind of like. And, and um, you know, basically I, I finished up school. I started talking to some of my friends at the time who were interested in, in what I was doing. I said, you know, I'll, I'm happy to do some discounted sessions if you want me to, you know, work on you. Or all of a sudden I was getting people coming to my apartment. You know, one of my good friends was pregnant at the time. I bought some pregnancy cushions, gave them a deal so that they could come every week and I could get used to doing that. And I worked for the YWCA, which is the kind of the, the main Y in, in the uptown area in Minneapolis for like three months and I was already getting busy enough. I basically quit working and just started my own practice right out of school. <laughs> oh my gosh, man. That is so cool. Yeah. It was, so I went fast. What, yeah. What great feedback from your instructor too. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mentors along the way, I I would imagine that that was probably, you know, one of the first ones in healthcare that kind of guided you a little. Yeah. Him and another, another woman uh, who, who got me into craniosacral therapy right away. She, she, we were doing different, we we had a a section where we were learning a little bit more subtle, um, you know, treatments too. Like we were learning some energy work ways to kind of work with like, you know, more, in more subtle ways. And she picked up right away that I really had a feel like there was, you know, there was something about like if I had, you know, a person's, you know, head under my, uh, over my hands, if I was just holding onto their head that I, that I could kind of feel that I could get things to release without doing very much work. And she was like, you have to take this course. Like, so I basically took that course right out of school. And then she and her partner started coming to see me for, for work at my apartment too. It was like all happened within, you know, that first year. Where, so where did you take that craniosacral course? Was that in Florida? That was that was actually in Minneapolis. They had a they had a, a level one course that they 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 do they travel they they do traveling courses. You can go down to the institute and take courses too. But then they also they offer them all over the world actually. Um, so so she was going to take a level two course that was coming to town, and so she said, "Oh, why don't you take this level one course? It's coming." You know, she gave me the dates and everything, and so they're not cheap. But I was like, I I kind of have to check this out, and so. You know, I, I, the first couple of days, you know, the thing about subtle arts stuff is that for one, again, it's like, it's mostly women. 
<laughs> and it's also people sometimes who are maybe not as grounded. They're they're looking for something, especially in the early level courses, right? They're like, oh, I, you know, and, and a lot of times you you meet people in these courses who have had a lot of trauma. They're they're really trying to kind of get themselves grounded in a way. And so that part at first felt a little uncomfortable, like, what did I get myself into here? You know, it feels a little bit like that. But the teachers, and, and I'm also, what I've learned about myself, I think I've talked about this with you, is I, I have definitely a very sort of engineering type of mind. Like, I need to know the, the mechanism and the whole process. And so when they showed me the craniosacral system, which is the dural membrane system and the, you know, the nervous system and all the, all these different accessory nerves and the fascia and all this stuff, I could, I could really see, I could, you know, visually, I totally got the model, maybe being a movement person too. I like, I kind of understood how, how that worked mechanically. And then I, within like three days, I met this other woman who was a chiropractor who I'm still friends with today, actually. Um, it, she lives in the neighborhood. Oh, you you know her actually. She did a little work with us for a while. Um, so that's kind of, you know it's one of those things where I had somebody else I could talk to about it who you know was also like trying to figure out how to apply this into her practice and was getting away from some of the the old methods of of chiropractic. Wanted to start doing more subtle work to get change to happen before doing adjustments and that kind of stuff. So you know all of a sudden I had a couple of tools to, to work with and I was just off and running. That is so cool. Yeah. And so that so you started your own practice in Minneapolis and yeah. how long did you how so how how did you get to New York from Minneapolis then? So so I I within about let's see. I guess it was only it was only about 2 years um that I was in Minneapolis practicing before I decided I had a bunch of friends in New York and some of my closest friends were there. I'd gone to visit and I I loved Brooklyn especially. So that was where you know, and I, I liked, maybe it goes back to the small town in Iowa. Like I liked these little small town, you know, feels that, that, that Brooklyn has, you know, within any sort of 10 block radius. It's like, you know, so many different shops and store owners and places, restaurants that it's, it's one of those kind of where, you know, people get to know your name after a pretty short period of time. So that's where I, <laughs> that's kind of where I went. I did work in, in, in Manhattan for a little while too, when I first got there. But eventually, within like four years, I was most of my business was out in Brooklyn. That is so cool. So, and then do you is, so? Tell me again how you started the Everyday Athlete. Is that what it was called? Yeah, Everyday Athlete. So, so yeah, that was kind of part of the transition to to get everything to Brooklyn, actually, because you know the one of the hard things about having a private practice is, I mean. I, it became very clear to me when I went to New York. I, you know, I I had I had a good community and network already that I had developed partly because I went to school in in Minnesota, and I knew a lot of people in Minneapolis, and I had family members, and so th- that wasn't. And it, also, the cost of living in Minneapolis wasn't wasn't so you know hard that I and and, and you know going back to the music part, I had I had been looking for something that I could do to keep music going that I, you know, felt like wasn't, wasn't robbing my soul at the same time. And I, I, so massage had given me kind of a, a lot of flexibility because I didn't mind working hard and then having a little, a little more time to do other things. So, you know, I was really only working, you know, business-wise, maybe 25 hours a week or something doing, doing body work at that point. So I still had some time for, for music and that was still going all the way up until almost, until I left uh, for New York. And then, and then, and then, when I got to New York, I had to start all over again, which was, 
which was tough. And I had to do it again coming back to Minneapolis. You know, surprisingly, it's it was it was you know hard coming back again and having to restart. So, but so I, I worked for for a health club there for a little while. I ended up managing the spas uh, for of three different uh, clubs for a, a little bit right after 9/11, and. Um, so, I, you know, I was still kind of trying to build that business back up again. And I was doing out calls. I was like traveling around the city with a table sometimes, <laughs> you know, just create <laughs> the stuff that you have to do to kind of build the business, you know. And then after a while, I, you know, I was doing fewer out calls. I, I was kind of working out of my, my apartment again a little bit more. I had gotten out of the, the health club, but I was, I had found a gym to work out of in, in Brooklyn. And then I met these I, when I was managing, I met this other good friend of mine, guy who's now a good friend of mine. He's also a, a, a body worker and a trainer, and he was working with this couple who was kind of starting. They had they had already started a little tiny version of of Everyday Athlete, and they were looking for you know someone to kind of do more with them. And I was looking for a space where I could do both movement work with people and body work. So that was that was one of those things I was trying to find. And so I kind of felt like I could rent a place and pay crazy rent or I could, you know, work on starting to build something. So, you know, invested a lot, <laughs> a, lot of, yeah. a lot of time, a lot of money, um, but, but it was the right thing to do. And, you know, even though, you know, from a business perspective, it, it didn't quite turn out to be what I, had, what, what I had hoped for. I met tons of other people through that business. I met a lot of people in health fields. I met a lot of other business owners and restaurant owners and... You know, it was it was that was a great experience, and it, and the the idea with Everyday Athlete was to kind of create a place that wasn't a gym, that was a place to kind of like get to understand how your body works, to engage. We 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 only had one mirror that we kept covered in case we needed it to to sort of demo. Otherwise, we wanted people to understand how their bodies worked in space. We put in a sprung floor like they do in for dancers and stuff like that. So we had this really like had a lot of, you know, shock absorption and even even the body work rooms had this this sprung floor. So it was like really comfortable to work on in there. So it was a, yeah. it was a, and then we had bamboo floors and all this woodwork and plants and just a totally different environment, lots of stone and stuff in the bathroom. So it was it was, you know, a, a lot of people I think, you know, I could, because I go back there still. They talk about that place as being like you know, a, a really sort of magical thing that they, it was like a retreat place to go right in the middle of the city, basically. Yeah. That is so cool. Yeah. And so what, so explain a little, the difference there, you know, like between uh, like movement work <laughs> and body work. So the body work is, is more where you're, you know, focusing on one person doing the craniosacral and massage and yeah. then explain a little bit more about what kind of like movement work you do with people or what you were do doing yeah. at that time. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I think again, a lot of it came from solving my own problems. Yeah. <laughs> you know, totally. I, was, I was trying to, I was trying to figure out, you know, ways to kind of do maintenance work. I think movement work actually solves a lot of problems, but, you know, you have to kind of understand how the how the hips function, how the shoulders function, how the stabilization of the trunk and core and, and, and even shoulder blade uh, needs to be stable to, to, to be fully functional and to, and to build strength on top of it. So what I was seeing sort of as I was, you know, trying to learn this stuff for myself was that a lot of people were just jumping past a lot of the foundational stuff into strength work and... I, th I started realizing that the mobility component to it was like much more important that you had to that you had to 
learn to first stabilize the you know some of this stuff around the, you know around the trunk around the, the between the rib cage uh, base and the and the pelvis to have that that center that stabilized center and then everything else was kind of built out from there but you had to always kind of build in some kind of mobilization work so that and a lot of it comes from the fact that we're sitting so much I mean that wasn't my work <laughs> necessarily but but I was working with so many people who were just having all these sort of chronic like tight shoulders, tight necks, tight hips, you know, lower backs, all this kind of stuff. So getting them to actually be able to kind of free up some of that stuff and then almost like re-experience what their body feels like and even break out of the ideas that they had about the aging process, thinking, oh, well, I'm 35 now, thinking that that's old. <laughs> you know, I, I guess I guess I'm just getting older, you know. My neck always hurts, my shoulders always hurt. But, you know, a, a lot of times it's just that people are at that one, this this specific point where they had, suddenly the career started taking over and then a family started taking over their their time to you know focus on some of this stuff and they didn't really have you know a, a plan in place or a program to kind of work on this stuff so that's a lot of what we developed there and um tomas anthony and alejandra belmar were my my partners there shout out to those guys probably listening to this one um and, <laughs> and so you know we, there was a lot of conversation and then we started training other people to do the work and I was kind of focused a little bit more on on training some of the body workers. And, um, you know, at one point in like 2006 or so, we had, we opened, early 2006, we opened the doors. By 2007, we had like 20, 22 people, some, 24 people, something like that working, you know, at this, this 1200 square foot studio. Whoa. It was, it was there. We, we had so much interest in what we were doing and it was like, you know, yeah. we, we were getting people through challenges really quickly. We were d working with a lot of people who had just had babies, a lot of women who had just had babies. So doing a lot of pre and postnatal work. And then we started developing some programs for kids and starting to teach, you know, teenagers too. So it was like all of a sudden, all these different pieces started coming together. And then the 2008 crash happened and we had to like change everything. So oh, no, that, so that's where things change. I yeah, gotcha. Yeah, and and the you know markets were changing. Our, our sure. even our, our private practices were all kind of changing a little bit. So we had to kind of remodel how we were doing this. Rather than having employees, we started having consultants and letting people use the space for doing kinds of work. But we still kept programs going. We still kept courses like classes going and stuff. Um, but then I moved to Minneapolis in in two thousand thirteen. Yeah. And so I, I still kept a relationship with them and I was going back just to kind of, you know, bridge between my starting my new practice. Um, but I but at that point, you know, I, I was kind of thinking eventually I would just get to stay in Minneapolis. But little did I know my business continued to grow in, in New York. <clears throat> so then then I all of a sudden I was, you know, I started going three days and then four days and I got to five days and I was like, OK, that's as much as I can do. Uh, well, as much as my family will probably let me go, and then uh, somewhere around there is is where I meet you, I believe. Yeah, twenty fourteen. Sure. Well, yeah, I think it's <clears throat> probably close to then. So let's back backtrack a little bit yeah. because I, I'm very. I, I want to hear a little bit more detail about like how um, how your experience was with like the uh, treating people after nine eleven, and oh, you know yeah. because I think you know some of the things that you and I have talked about over the years is just kind of how you know our our trauma, our you know emotional state, our mental state really kind of comes out in our physical bodies, yeah. and I can imagine you know like how that experience was for you or how you know helping people through some of those you know experiences yeah. must have, must have been really interesting. Well, and and you know the other thing about it is that you. 
you know, you, you step forward with whatever your skill set is, but on, on at the same time, you're also going through the same experience, you know, like, so, and, and, and then working with people, you know, I mean, I worked with firefighters and policemen, at, you know, who had been down there too. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a certain amount of my work and you're, you're in the same kind of field in this way is that, you know, you, you are trying to create space for people to feel comfortable and safe and be able to, you know, express what's going on with them. Not just, you know, it's, it's not just the physical symptomatic stuff that we're treating because there's always an underlying part of that. And you don't know how much was going on before 9-11 with this person. And so you have to kind of get that story to come forward. So I would say in some ways that was, you know, that was only like three, four years, four or five years actually into my career of doing this work. So I was still pretty new in that respect. And I, and I would say before that, I was very caught up in like, technique and you know that kind of stuff i think i think i was starting to understand and even some of the coursework i was continuing to do around like what we call it in craniosacral work somato-emotional release which is sort of how that physically manifests how those those kinds of you know emotional traumas manifest in in the body in different kinds of ways and then what the, what the release process looks like too. And you know, I think movement in general is sort of good for people in that process. I don't, I don't know if you've ever heard this from people, but sometimes people would be taking like a yoga class and all of a sudden break in tears. That's kind of what the somatic emotional release process looks like, you know, simply. But it can also happen, you know, just with someone's hands on you on a table and someone who knows how to sort of facilitate this and dialogue with you through it and that kind of stuff. So. Then I became a little bit more interested in that. I would say at that point, that was the that was the moment for me where I started realizing not only were these people going through stuff, but I had a lot of stuff that I needed to work on. Especially, to, and I think as I work on more of my stuff, I'm able, I have a capacity now for more, you know, in terms of what, what what's going on with other people. And so tell us a little bit about um, when you met Lisa. I would imagine that that I would imagine that this is around that time period too, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, the uh, the story before that is, I guess, I also went through a divorce. Um, didn't did not have children, but I went through a divorce in two thousand eight, um, which had you know that was the that was the end of things. But it takes takes a bit of time to kind of go through this and figure out. You know, we we did some therapy and tried to figure out what whether there was something there that we could still work on or not. It's a, you know, it's a challenging thing to go through. It's it's no different than any relationship, but I feel like there's something about when you get married and when you commit in that way that you then when you when it's not working, you have to figure out your own piece in it too. Like what what did I do wrong here? So I feel like that was kind of the year for me to like. Not only did the stock market crash. <laughs> But so did so, so did so did my marriage at the same time, and we had been together for almost fifteen years. Not not all married years, but you know, long time. So went through that whole time period, and in some ways, I feel like that was a rebuilding time period for me. And then in two thousand nine, was starting to date and not thinking I was going to you know meet anyone necessarily, but had been on a, you know a few dates, some some good, some not great, and was just kind of committed to like, oh, I just kind of want to see what it, I, hadn't, I hadn't dated since before the time of cell phones, you know, like, so suddenly I'm like having to do all this texting, you know, d dating or whatever that has to go on, you know, and, and so, so then I, th then I, I met Lisa and our first date was like pretty good, 
but I think we, there was a certain amount of like reserve on both of our parts. And as it turns out, we were both kind of dating some different people at the same time, trying to just get a, get a sense of things. But we both kind of had this feeling with, with each other, like just comfort, like right from the beginning. And so, yeah, we, we started dating and I knew that she had a child, you know, that was one of the you know parts of, of starting to have a relationship with somebody with a kid that I had no experience with. Uh, and we didn't meet. I, I didn't meet him for a while. It's Phoenix. Phoenix has just been on the on the podcast. So people know who he is now. Um, but he. So I thought I, I didn't meet him for like maybe three or four months. Um, but as soon as that happened, um, and you know, I would ma- basically see him mostly on weekends at that point because they lived like all the way on the other side of the city. So that was also like a challenge trying to figure out how to make that happen at the beginning. But once I, once I, once he, you know, sort of, you know, was open to me and, you know, was interested in me, I realized I have, I'm having two relationships that I'm starting at almost the same time, you know? So on some level, I felt like I have to kind of make a commitment. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen with, with her and I, it's the beginning of a, of, of a new relationship and if, felt great and everything, but you, also being realistic about, you know, bringing a child into this. So I thought, well, I'm going to, I'm going to stay in his life in some capacity if I'm going to, if I'm going to get involved in this. And it made it easier, kind of like, then, then it was like, all right, so this is what's going on. And it all happened like pretty, pretty quickly, actually. It was like easy, you know, kind of all the way through, except for the fact that I just kind of like gone through a very challenging time period and the business was falling apart at the same time. So, <laughs> yeah. So a perfect time to start over. I'll start over. Yeah. But in yeah. a way it is one of those things. And also when you have someone who's kind of, I felt like Lisa had my back like right away. Like she, she was, and she also had a, a good business mind. She was in an, in an MBA program at the time, talked through a lot of different kinds of things. I had considered filing for bankruptcy because I was, I wasn't sure exactly what level I wanted to be at with debt with with the, the some of the stuff that went on with the business but you know it's it kind of resolved itself in the, within the course of a year or so and all of a sudden I kind of felt like all right that that feels good and then Lisa and I decided to have a baby <laughs> and um it was yeah it's it was uh, it, that that also kind of was all fairly smooth except for you know Iris had meningitis when she was 12 days old Oh yeah, and was that was that in New York or was that in Minneapolis? That was in New York still, yeah. So we were there until she was about a little over two. Wow, yeah, that must have been a very trying situation too. Oh, totally. And and luckily, I, mean, I had I had already started working with babies at that point. I kind of had this feeling with oh. that something was going on, and I also knew that babies aren't supposed to have fevers, and something seemed really off. I could tell there was, you know, she seemed warm. And I yeah. knew, and I knew pediatricians at the time, so I actually called our pediatrician who lived like four blocks from us, and she said, "Just bring her over and I'll just at her house, <laughs> just check her out and stuff." So she called called ahead right away, said, "You know, go home, get bags packed. You're going to be there for at least a week. Um, she's either got a urinary tract infection or meningitis." And so we get there, spinal tap right in the door. They already have a room prep for us. It's, it's super fast. And, my gosh. I know. And so all of a sudden, and, and it just, it's a whirlwind. You can hardly sort of understand what's going on. Um, and then, you know, you know how it is. With then they've got them in a room. They've got oxygen monitors and all these different things trying to get a sense of what's going on. Sometimes that would dip a little bit and beeping and you're freaking out. You have no idea what's going to happen. And so the first day or two were kind of crazy. Um, 
And then Lisa got sick. She got mastitis from probably picked up something while she was in the hospital and wasn't nursing like she was supposed to be because of all the you know stuff going on. Um, and so she got sick and had to leave the hospital. We, I took her to the ER downstairs. <laughs> I was just like, what happened to my life? And, um, and so she left. And somewhere like that next that night, she st- I, I could tell Iris was starting to kind of like something just felt a little different. I could tell she, she, was, she was starting to get hungry. And, you know, things kind of slowly got better. One of my good friends came in the next day who was visiting from, who lives in Minneapolis now, who had been living in New York before that. Um, uh, you've met him, one of my close friends. And so, so he came and took me out to, to, to have dinner one night and the nurses said, yeah, you can leave for a couple hours. You're, we're fine, we got this. And that was like a turning point. I was like, I came back, I felt more relaxed, all of a sudden kind of, but we still ended up having to, like they had to keep kind of checking to see if there was stuff going on in the in the cerebrospinal fluid, which was crazy because she had bacteria in her craniosacral system. It's like what I do, you know? Um, but she she pulled out of it, you know, pretty pretty well. We, didn't, we never had any anything that was like any clear symptoms afterwards. She didn't have a lot of swelling either, I think, because we got her there so fast. Yeah, that, how awesome uh, to have have a have a network and know you know know your pediatrician be that right, close and right. I mean just how what yeah how yeah. incredible yeah so yeah so that that was very fortunate and you know, I feel like we got through that it was certainly challenging and we had a lot of people step in and some people flew into town and like gave us days off so we could go shower and sleep a little bit because <laughs> we Lisa and I slept on a couch basically one of those benches in the hospital like heads at both opposite ends and <laughs> sitting up practically that's craziness so you were um, working with babies before that happened yeah had just how, so uh, how, just started yeah how, how did that happen how did you start working with babies? I have a I have a good client. The, actually, the person whose office I use now in, in in Brooklyn when I when I go in for visits, she she's a midwife. She I've been treating her, and she kept kind of you know she was getting into my ear about different things that she thought I could be helpful with, and um, she brought this baby to see me at one point and just said, "Will you just do an, an eval to give to the to give to the doctor? They want to put this baby had like one really compressed like eye that wasn't quite opening up." And it was at like six weeks. So pretty, you know, starting to get kind of pretty far down the line with it. And um, so they they asked if I would, you know, see what was going on. What I noticed with the cranials, they wanted to put the baby in a cranial cap, which the midwife was not super excited about, or nor were the parents, um, to help kind of form the, the, the cranial bones because everything was, you know, kind of asymmetrical. And so I, you know, I just did a little eval. And when you're, you know, when you're feeling for tissue, you're, you know, they're in, you're interacting with tissue. It's it's responding to you. And and so within a week, the eye opened right up, and the and all the cranials actually moved a little bit, which was like after having worked with with adults with like you know chronic back and hip and shoulder problems, that can be that could be a few months sometimes before they get out of those things. So to see something happen like this in that short of a period of time really made me realize what sort of potential like bodies have. So yeah. then I got super interested and I did some volunteer work for a while. And during the volunteer period, I was introduced to this lactation consultant who um, was kind of, she was a PT as well. And so she was, you know, she was looking at what I was doing. We spoke the same language, which is another one of those things that's helpful because that's, you know, I've talked about this a lot. It's hard to kind of, you know, figure out what the project is together when you're working with someone in different a different field. And so 
I was starting to help babies with um, kind of feeding challenges a lot of times. And sometimes it was like a latch issue. And so we, you know, we come up with different strategies for how to, how to, you know, work on some of these things. And then I was like, all right, I'm going, I'm going to go back to school and study <laughs> gradient sacral for, for, you know, pediatrics. So then I went, I started, so did you, <clears throat> so then I went oh, back and started taking courses for, for that. Yeah. Oh, awesome. And I don't know if you've ever told me that. That's cool. So yeah. is that, uh, is that when you went to the courses in Florida, or were they still traveling that around? That one was. At that I time? mean, I started the, again traveling, and sometimes you have to go to different cities depending on where they have the courses. And th- those sure. were much more specialized. So I did. I did my first one. I did in Boston for for that mm-hmm. one. Um, but I've but I've done them like all over the country, basically. And you're still doing some of that work today, I, right? It, it, I think you have to. I think you. I mean, also the information keeps changing. So even you know twenty some years ago when I took my first one, like the, the information has even, even, even though, even some of the protocols and things that they sort of understand now about the system might, might've changed during that time. I mean, we didn't even know about glial cells then. So it was like all these different pieces that you can start kind of, you know, tying together. So I, so I'm, I'm just sort of always doing ongoing stuff. Absolutely. That's one of the best things about being in healthcare is that you always have to continually learn. I like being a student. Actually, oh, yeah. and, and the podcast is my is my also my continuing ed <laughs> project. Absolutely. So let's transition to that. Okay. So so you know this is your hundredth episode. Yeah. Right. Of of doing the podcast, and yep. you've interviewed people from all sorts of different fields of different backgrounds, and I mean, I would imagine it's been you know awesome and hard and challenging and rewarding. Yeah. Uh, so what what would you say is your favorite part about you know creating this from nothing? I, I I think what was what was starting to happen. I mean, some of this came from. Oh, why don't we back up to this? In 2014, I meet this crazy doctor who wants to rent space in uh, at this holistic center that I'm that I'm also renting space in, <laughs> and <laughs> that's you. And and so we we have like a three hour conversation, like right out of the gate about you know different things about you. You, you were I think I think you were at a point where you knew you had to do something different in your work. And and I was also starting to feel like I had gotten to a certain level with my work. Like I I had a very good sense of what my skill set was and what I could do, but I also felt a little bit like I because I'm in a in a field where that's really hard to get covered for for insurance. I was starting to think I wish I had more. I wish I could resource more people than just the people who can afford my kind of care. So that was kind of the beginning of my my thinking process with it, and then. And then I and then I think what you and I started, you know, getting into talking about was was really thinking about how how a person becomes like you know one of your challenges it sounded like at the time was like how do you how do you engage people's um, interest in in becoming well or 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 even just the idea that they could be they could feel better than they actually do, yep. and so that that was I think. Some of the conversations we had around that were were I, there was one in particular where we were studying intake forms. I don't know if you remember this. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you remember. And uh-huh. and and you were looking at all the different questions on there. And and one of the ones we came up came up with was it 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 was basically kind of like we like we were, we were trying to understand what a person thought they we're trying to we're trying to accomplish from from their side like what does health look like to them you know and realizing that this is like there's a belief system here that we have to engage yeah that's what actually excited me the most like i started realizing yeah. that that's what I, i've been doing but that's what i wanted to do more of 
Yeah, but you know, because in my field, so much of the time is just like about people who are, you know, sick and unwell, mm-hmm. you know, and so they're coming basically just to be unwell or, yeah. you know, basically just to be like, like trying to fix, you know, an acute problem or trying to but like they want manage. You, but, but they also want you to fix that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then, and so, you know, so much of my field is not really looking towards the, you know, trying to optimize people's lives or trying to like help them actually like reach a higher level, level of health or feeling better or being able to do more things or, you know, like the actual kind of, you know, client centered type of goals or that's like those discussions like never happen in clinics like this. Unfortunately, I mean, I try to, the more I get to know people and trying to figure out like, you know, using those types of kind of motivational things, if I can figure out what, you know, is important to them and what they can't do, you know, trying to figure out what their quality of life is. But so much of the time, like we're not able to do that. And that's what I kind of always envied in your field in Mm, many ways that you were, you know, that you were so able to actually help people actually, you know, feel better and improve their life and optimize, you know, their health, not just like just focusing on trying to get from like an acute problem back to base. Line. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and I, and I think you, you and I both have this like need to educate, you yeah. know, and which means we, which takes time and, you know, and, and it's one of those things where on, on some level, when I first start working with somebody, I kind of have to, I kind of have to let them know that like this, like you have to commit to this, you know, we're working together. This is going to be a partnership and, and, and the, 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 the people who do well really engage. And so you know, I, th- I thought that was kind of what I was, and this goes back to maybe thinking I was going to be an educator before too, is like, I, I, th- I think that's been a, a, like a really strong part of what I want to do. And also being an English major and, and being able to like words have like articulating very specific, specific things. When I, when I was doing a lot of movement work with people, it's a lot of postural correction work and, and really trying to find the right, you know, wording, sometimes an image, you know, something that kind of engages them in being able to have a sense of something. And so, you know, being able to feel in, in, in our field, we call it interoception, like knowing, knowing what the, what it feels like from the inside, you know, of your, of yourself. And so being able and, to kind of get people, in, you know, in their experience a little bit. And so much of the time, like in our fields, we tend to use big words, you know, or like, you know, anatomy words or that sort of thing that, you know, that people don't really understand. And so being able to use your, you know, English, uh, you know, degree or or that critical thinking to be able to communicate to someone, you know, like on a level that they can understand. Yeah. So then they can actually take that information because, you know, we're only with people for, I mean, you get to, you know, have sessions longer than I I do for sure. Yeah. But at the same time, like they need to do, you know, the work when we're not there, right. you know, and so by uh, so much of healthcare is, is really, you know, educating people about their bodies so they can continually, you know, work on it yeah. when they're not in the, you know, in the room with you or in the clinic with us. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and that's, and I think that that became way more interesting to me. And, I, and, and a lot of the work that you and I, when, when you're you know, starting to think, have these ideas for how to improve the patient, you know, uh, ex- um, relationship, you know, that realizing the, 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 the power of, of having, having something that's, that's a, like a real connection with someone who, who wants to see you get better, that, that became like a super important thing to me too. And, and thinking like, and I think some of it was you were seeing these relationships I had developed with my clientele in New York and thinking, 
oh, that is, that's what I want to do more of too. And, but then also, you know, realizing that some of what we were starting to do was, was also collaboration of care and how do we have better relationships and collaboration of care and, and how do we manage the, the sort of communication that needs to go on between people to deal with the he said, she said stuff, especially if it's like, you know, someone helping manage an older, you know, parent's care or, you know, a child's care or something you need, mostly the, the older parent's care, because then you then you have this line of communication going on where the parent heard something and they try to tell it to the <laughs> child, the adult child managing care, and that's not the right information. And so that was a lot of what, you know, I think you and I were starting to kind of get interested in at, at that point. And, and interest, I mean, I'm, I'm curious to hear actually what's happened in terms, because one of the challenges we had was was HIPAA, right? And and what, has anything changed through the pandemic in terms of because you're directing this telemedical program now? What is is that something that you can see changing? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean things. I mean things definitely opened up much more uh, mm-hmm. with the pandemic because it was almost forced to because people, you know, were at home and they still needed, you know, behavioral health. They still needed, you know, even a lot of just like the COVID stuff, we would triage people having them at home doing phone or video visits, that sort of thing. And and it was just kind of like the door, the door, yeah, the door just kind of opened up and uh, which, which is really good. And I hope that they don't like come back and close the doors, you know, like afterwards. But, you know, one of the other things about when we started kind of, you know, collaborating, working and, you know, brainstorming together was this kind of unfortunate disconnect between like the modern medicine world where I, you know, live and work in yeah. and then in, in, in the like holistic complementary alternative medicine, you know, yeah. world. Yeah. And, and, it, and it just never made sense to me, like why we couldn't like bridge this gap between these awesome providers. Yeah. And it, all, it, was, it was so frustrating to me that like even here, you know, where I work in this rural, you know, uh, California, like mountain area, which is, which is very cool. I'm very grateful to be here, but there's the resource are I mean like there's no one like you like I, right. I can't send yeah. I can't send yeah. to the cranial sacral therapist like down the block you know like right it's, it's it, and I just know that the majority of my patients would benefit from being able to see you know like someone doing body work or yeah. or even being able to collaborate with you know with with other providers and I think that was one of those things that that we started you know connecting on right away that yeah. it would be so great if you know, you could have a whole healthcare team that actually could easily communicate. And that's yeah. still a huge issue in healthcare is yeah. actually having like the ability to communicate back and forth. Yeah. But I would imagine that your network has just like gotten larger and larger with this podcast and being able to like meet all these different, you know, providers from all these different backgrounds. It oh, must be very interesting. Absolutely. It's it's introduced me to so many different, you know, people and, and even just ideas. I know you've listened to a, a majority of them, but you know things things that I would not have even considered about certain kinds of care, like you know about about you know holistic dental or you know things like this. I, I there, and and even to understand the value of of those kinds of things that that you know this this, this goes back to wanting what why I wanted to start the podcast in the first place. I felt like there was like really good information out there already, 
that needed to be kind of consolidated a little bit and and also something that was accessible. I think that was I've, I've been getting that from a lot of listeners and a lot of people in medical fields who have you know sent stuff to me saying like thank you for this you know t- this topic it's so accessible I can I know I can share this with a patient like that's that's a hard one and I and I do think this maybe comes from the English major thing too is like I want to distill that down a little bit and then you know give it back to somebody in a way that they can get you know that they can really sort of at least have a few nuggets of new information that kind of, and, and as you start piecing a lot of these different pieces together, you start seeing the overlaps in sometimes in terminology and sometimes just in like how systems work in general. Absolutely. And I would imagine that the podcast has totally evolved as you've been doing it over the years. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, at the beginning, I know that you were thinking maybe it was going to be more for like the healthcare, you know, providers themselves yeah. and then maybe for, you know, the clients, patients. So where do you kind of see where it's at right now and where you see it going into the future or where you, you know, like would like to see it going? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you something that happened. I, th- I think I may have mentioned this already, but the Upledger Institute where I did my training uh, for craniosacral therapy, Dr. John Upledger is the guy who sort of coined the phrase and started the the methodology and has done all the, did all the writing about it. Um, the director of marketing reached out after hearing one of the episodes I did with one of my teachers. And so we, she, you know, she said, and, the, and they have educators and authors that they sort of do work with or come in and do lectures from all over the place. So one thing that's happened is that they want me to do more interviews with with some of those people, which is an, an amazing thing because I feel like that is a big group of people that I can already, I, I know will understand a lot of this information. So to be able to, and, and sometimes they're just, it's also for, these are the educators and they have they have large groups of students that they're already working with on an ongoing basis. So that means we can capture this information and then in a in an hour long episode, and then they have it, and they can keep going back through it again. And that's the one thing I'm hearing from people is they hear a specific episode, and it makes it's there's something about it in there that's very very important that they need to be working on, and they can re listen to it, and they can pick up the phrases and you know write stuff down and all that. So that's that's one, a big part of it. But then there's there's another part of it that's. You know, I I really would like since we since we do have to advocate for ourselves in terms of our own care, I, I want to you know you and I talked about this at the beginning when I was doing this. I said I want to have it be like fun enough. <laughs> it's not it's not the most fun you know podcast. I mean I listen to a lot of like comedy podcasts and music podcasts, all these different things because because it's you know it's it's something that's a little more fun. But I think if you're you know and a lot of people say that when they listen to this podcast they kind of have to be in the right mood and. And I think that's that's one of those things where we kind of circle back around health-wise. And I think what ends up happening with my podcast is is that they people will kind of listen to it in a binge where they're like, okay, I want to put some time into my health right now. And they maybe they cherry pick some of the episodes or maybe they just listen straight through. But I think that even, you know, as you know, my, my mom l- listens to the podcast. And so on, on another level, I'm thinking... I want to be able to have this, you know, consumable enough at her level. And she's, you know, she's willing to sit with a certain amount of information that she doesn't understand and weed through some, you know, some things, but seems to be picking up a lot of things out of it too. So, 
you know, that's that's the way I'm thinking. I'm still I still want to have general public, you know, get more information. And one of the things I started doing was doing these two minute podcasts, um, the two minute tune ups, which are, you know, just kind of a, a even more distilled version of that. And I've even, I'm, you know, I think what I'm going to do down the road is, is maybe even take some of these longer form podcasts and break them out a little bit more and maybe have some, you know, five minute ones, a little more information, some ver- something very specific so that if someone's, you know, again, cherry picking through that they can kind of find that one thing that they know that they're challenged by or want to learn more about. So. That's awesome. And then you recently, um, you recently kind of revamped uh, your website with uh, yeah. a, a very talented designer in uh, in Germany. Yes. And uh, what is your uh, what's your vision for that? And 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 what do you hope that uh, will be created on on your platform there? Yeah, that's that version 1.0. Mario Stoney's. We'll have to give him uh, some. You know, he's he's done some work for both of us. So. He's, he's, um, he's, he, I actually just talked to him yesterday and we, we, we do talk a lot about vision with this, this project because of, uh, thinking about it as a resource and as a guide, you know, that's been one of the things that we kind of keep coming back to is that we want, people are looking for someone to, to, to guide them through a process. And so that's kind of the direction of the podcast of the of the website is eventually we want to have more resource there. We want to invite more people in health fields to get involved um, and, and to, to really see what the mission of this project is so that they can, you know, see that, oh, this is this is something that your your project could use. I'm going to write this for you or let's have a podcast and talk about this specific topic, you know. So I, I can see more and more of that. And then, you know, through the website and through, you know, being able to key, keywords th- things, people should be able to come to the website and, and pick any given topic, you know, it could be acupuncture, it could be Chinese medicine, it could be MS, it could be whatever. And, and they can find any information that's, that we've done on, on these topics too. That's awesome. Yeah. So how about uh, if you could interview... Uh, anyone on your podcast, living, uh, living or dead? Oh, that's a good um, one. Yeah, I feel like that would be interesting living to hear. Your... Or dead? Yeah. I mean, uh, to, to be there's a couple couple people that come to mind. Um, living. Oh, that's that's tough. <laughs> I, so dead, I, I would definitely like to. Doctor John Upledger, I think, was is still like I. I and I've I've met a lot of people who have who have met him and worked with him. And he had this real blend of, of deep, deep knowledge of science. He was an osteopath, and he was involved in surgery and did all sorts of different things. But he also had this real sense of, of like how a, a whole person's experience might influence any given, you know, cellular activity or you know, system activity that might be, you know, off track, and ways to sort of engage with that. That I, I haven't heard anyone, you know at this point talk about in quite that in quite that way so that's 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 one person um dad i'd, I'd be i'd be curious to interview einstein <laughs> I, i've just yeah. i've always had a bit of a, a curiosity and and also um um uh, leonardo leonardo da vinci i I've, I've always been kind of curious about you know in some ways his the the, the understandings that he had in terms of science and, and health 
um, I thought those are those are a couple of people I'd be interested in talking to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those are great answers for sure. So, how about um, you know? I would imagine that this has been a challenging you know experience. So, do you have any advice for people who are either you know starting a project you know from scratch or you know wanting to build something or say you know starting a podcast or or you know like what have you you know learned all, along the way that would be uh, beneficial to know? That's a that's a good question. I mean, I I've. I've talked about it a little bit with some, you know, different people on the, on the podcast, but I think the, the the thing that I think you know from watching this project is that you you just have. I mean, there's a, there's a pace part of it, you know, not like I, I I'm I'm much more interested in in having a quality you know piece of material. I think about each podcast episode a little bit like I did when I was writing songs, and I want them to be you know, sort of concise enough on, on, in some, in some way, but I, you know, I do a fair amount of research before I do each of these, each of these two. And sometimes I'm reading books by the, by them, listening to other things that they've done, listening to lectures that they've done. Um, because I, because I want, again, I'm trying to distill this down a little bit and I, and I, I think that's of more value. We're in a very content-driven market now. Like, there's so many podcasts, and and the way that they're they're driven is by advertising for, for the most part. So, the more that they put out, the more money they make through advertising. And I've I've stayed away from that. Um, and I, you know, not that I'm opposed to it. I, I just want to have the right partnership when I do it. But I've been doing Patreon, so you know, I have been getting some support through Patreon, which has been helpful. And um, and I think I'm starting to develop relationships where I can get more support for you know building this this project but it's taken a long time you know it's taken uh, we're we're going to be at about almost 5 years from when you and I drove around in the car talking about and trying to figure out how microphones worked <laughs> for, for for doing this so wow that is so crazy time so, flies right so 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 that's that's you know i, I think being being comfortable too with you know allowing allowing the time for it to for it to develop i think the times that I've made mistakes have been when I tried to force something that really wasn't, you know, that I wasn't ready for, that that it just wasn't right. <clears throat> but that's, you know, that's that what most people's learning experience. I I think I think now I've, I'm getting to a point where where people can kind of. I, th- I think they, they they know they know what what this thing is about a little bit more, but that's that's only because it's been it's been kind of going along slowly for so long that they they can kind of see the trend of the kinds of people that I have, the diversity of topics. and and that was one thing that I struggled with at the beginning, too, was thinking, do I just make this medical? or do I just make do I go really deep science? And and I one of the things that I, I knew early on that's sort of part of my my closing is that I knew I, I, I couldn't talk about the physical health part without talking about sort of our environment and our community and that kind of stuff because that is a big player in, in terms of how we feel. So that's you know I, I think I think that's one of the important things that I that I learned from some of the work I did with you, but also from just kind of like sitting with these conversations for a really long period of time. So your, uh, your son Phoenix is going off to college. And so do you have any, you know, this is what I feel like this is a common question on a lot of podcasts, especially a lot of interview ones. But so do you have any advice for say, like a young person who is like, you know, just starting their adult life or just starting their career on, I mean, cause you've had a fascinating, you know, I mean, 
we've, you know, just kind of gone through the journey of your yeah, life yeah. here and it's been such a fascinating, you know, kind of journey along the way and, you know, different things and molding different things together and connecting. And I don't like, do you have any advice for uh, a young person? I mean, I think you have to, for one, like start, like early on at, at some point, you have to just trust your instinct and also like plan to fail. You know, like if if you're not failing, you're not you're not getting anywhere. You're you're not you're most likely not learning. It also tells you that you're not taking very very many risks. And and I think one of the things I've learned in terms of risk taking, you know, even with the with the podcast a little bit, is that when you, when you when you get comfortable with it, when you do it often enough, it doesn't feel quite as overwhelming. You you just start to kind of feel like oh that that didn't work out, you know. And it was one of the things I, I sort of joke with my my wife a lot is it's like. It'll either work or it won't. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to think that way, you know. But in, in if if you can be comfortable with that, what's what's after that? What's it either works or it doesn't. Either way, there's still there's still going to be another another step and another decision and another chance to you know make something work or or it won't. <laughs> you know that's that's the whole process. So that's one thing. And I also think you this one of the things I've been trying to get Phoenix to think about is. Get into the spirit of of exploration of just, you know, there's because I think there's there's a tendency for us to think that we already know en- enough or that we already know some people you know who go very deep into their field start to think they know everything, and that becomes problematic too. And I I've always been of this sort of beginner's mind mindset that I'm I'm sure I don't I mean I that's the way I feel all the time I'm sure I don't know enough and so there's that's maybe where the curiosity comes from. Yeah, and being a lifelong learner like you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but that just comes from the curiosity. I I don't, and and I and it's sometimes it. The only limiting part of it is, I've struggled with like an imposter syndrome because I feel like I I never know enough. But I'm starting to get more comfortable with the fact, and it's been really interesting because so many of my friends and and colleagues and you know clients and stuff start to listen to this and fa- and family members. And, you know, especially our closest people, most of them don't really know what our day-to-day looks like. <laughs> so, and so to have them listen to me talk about things, they're sort of like, I had no idea, you know, what your life is like. So it's kind of cool. That is so cool. Yeah. Well, I just want to say congratulations on what you've built. Thanks, it my is, friend. It, I mean, seriously, it is so impressive, and I'm so proud of you, you know, for sticking with it. And it's such a beautiful thing, and I'm so honored to... Uh, be able to interview you for your hundredth episode and there's going to be so many more to come and uh yeah well i thank you for all your contributions um you've 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 been donating financially you've you've given me a lot of time with the you know with doing episodes with me and and i and i really appreciate my friend oh it's been an absolute an absolute pleasure we'll do this again maybe at 200 how's that sound Okay. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> and and maybe we can do that one in person and another one and yes. a few more in person. I can't yes. wait to see you again yeah. soon in person. That would be awesome. Likewise. All right. See you next time. There it is, folks. My story. Hope that answers some questions that I've gotten from some of you over the past 100 episodes about uh, what my work is and, and how I got to doing the work that I'm doing. Thanks to Dr. Aaron for your efforts and time prepping for this one. So much fun to do together. 
And I realized listening back to this one that I didn't answer his question about a living person that I'd like to interview. So I've got a couple for you. I'd like to interview Dan Butner of the Blue Zones Project. It's a fascinating study of the longest living humans on, around the planet and what keeps them healthy for so long. I'm actually actively working on this one. We've got some common connections. I'd also like to interview Dr. Mark Hyman. I love the work that he's doing. And I don't know much about how he, what his work was like before he got into doing his writing and, and podcasts. So that's another one. Uh, I'd also like to talk to Brene Brown, who I think is brilliant and has really opened up some important dialogues about mental and emotional health. And I'll try to, I'll try to work on her as well. If you've been considering contributing to this project, it's very easy to do. You can donate at just about any dollar amount over at patreon.com forward slash highway to health. And you can find a link by scrolling down to the bottom of the show notes on the app that you're listening on. Your support is greatly appreciated. Thanks for listening and for all that you do. Be good to yourself, be kind to each other, and take care of your planet. Be well, my friends. If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Beyond the Paper Gown, hosted by Dr. Mitzi Krakover, helps people think critically about women's health issues, encouraging them to question and explore the complexities of healthcare systems, scientific advancements, and societal norms. There's a really cool episode that you should check out called Midday Menopause App, and that's about how AI and sensor technology can provide personalized interventions to manage menopause symptoms effectively. Check out Beyond the Paper Gown on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.